Hello, and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 74 movies, and one cage. This is episode 26, Kiss of Death, from 1995. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and I'm trying to think, is this our first real, true remake in Cage Club? I believe it is, yeah. Uh, it's based on a 1947 screenplay of the same name, Kiss of Death. And it was updated in 1995, starring David Caruso, fresh off his NYPD first season success, along with our boy Nick Cage, Sam Jackson, a whole bunch of people in this movie. And it's a movie that I don't think I knew anything about before we started watching it. I think it's because this is the first time in a couple films that Nick Cage is back to supporting actor. He's sort of got less screen time than we're used to. So Cage has been the lead actor, you're right, but I think this is the first time that we get a with Nicolas Cage. Like, it's the high, uh-huh. it's the, like, the high mark of supporting actors. It's not, he's not, you know, third or fourth build, he's essentially last build in the title credits because we save his name for the end. Like, I think they do David Caruso, and then I think they do everybody in alphabetical order, yeah. and then with Nicolas Cage. Yeah, he's pretty much the main bad guy, right? Like, he's the main baddie in a film full of bad guys, pretty much. Like, <laughs> everyone's pretty much a crooked character. The DVD says this is the best crime movie since Goodfellas, which is, uh, hmm, I don't even think it's still true. I mean, it's just, whew, it's not bad, but it's just, it's well, it's sort of, it's like very yeah. dated. You know, again, yep. like, it just feels stuck in the 90s to a degree, you know? Like, they just updated a 40s film and said, what would it be like in the 90s as opposed to, let's just sort of make this timeless version. The important thing to note about this movie is that David Caruso was nominated for a Razzie for Worst New Star. He was apparently in this and a movie called Jade. This was at the point in his career where he was trying to branch out from TV and become a bona fide film star. He apparently was paid $1 million to make this movie, which I think is probably a lot of money back then. It was right after the first season of NYPD Blue, and right before the second season, where he I don't even think he made it all the way through the second season, from what I've read. But he was nominated for the Razzie for Worst New Star. He lost out to Elizabeth Berkley in Showgirls. And he was nominated alongside film icons as Amy the Talking Gorilla from Congo, Cindy Crawford from Fair Game, and Julia Sweeney from two movies, It's Pat and Stuart Saves His Family. Both those movies were Saturday Night Live skits turned into movies. This was a year that was dominated at the Razzies by Showgirls and Waterworld. And Kiss of Death is sort of at points like right there alongside them. I remember around this time, David Caruso was blowing up. He was the next big thing. You know, like you say, he was a big TV star. Kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, he left TV, made a string of bad films, you know, (laughs) just critically not acclaimed. That was kind of it. He just had to go back to television where I think he remains. Yeah, he's been on CSI Miami, I think, for like 230-something episodes. So he's doing well for himself. It's just that he's much more suited to TV than film. Yeah, I just remember at the time, sort of everyone going, you're blowing it, man. (laughs) What are you doing? You know, you had such a good thing going. You know, he made his choice. Funny thing about his character, well, I don't exactly... I didn't exactly enjoy watching David Caruso act, just to be blunt about it, but, you know, I was recasting him in my mind, and, you know, 1995, around this time, you want a TV star, George Clooney would have been great, I feel, in this role. Sort of that ex-con vibe he brings to Out of Sight, right? He could have played some of that. Kind of helped me get through the film, and now I want to see Clooney and Cage go head-to-head. Oh, I really wish that was the case, but unfortunately for us and for this film, we're 
straddled with David Caruso. Because when you think mobster in New York City, you think ginger-haired Irishman, right? In the Cotton Club, we saw that the Irish people can sort of run New York, that Nicolas Cage is an Irish guy in that movie and becomes most wanted in New York. But he just, like, visibly or visually looks not like the type of guy at the heart of this crime ring or this organized crime scene in New York City. Yeah, I got kind of a Westies vibe from him, sort of maybe a descendant of Leo DiCaprio's character from Gangs of New York or something like that. But he also, you know, sort of when we start the film, he's like out of the crime scene. He's sort of trying to go straight, right? So he like used to be hot shit and now like he's put the past behind him. But you're right. He does not look exactly like the type (laughs) you think of New York mobsters. He's married to Helen Hunt in this movie. And and the movie starts out and it's, it's not immediately clear like who everybody is and like what their roles are. Like we're just sort of thrust into this apartment. And there's, like, four people there. You're like, wait, who's with who? Who's the star of this? It's David Caruso as Jimmy Kill Martin. Helen Hunt is there as his wife, Bev, with their little daughter. And then there's Catherine Irby as Rosie, who I guess, she's Helen Hunt's sister, right? She's the girl that lives upstairs. She's the babysitter. Are they not related at all? I don't think they're related whatsoever. That, okay, that is... At one point, I, that she was, said, uh, David Caruso was like, did I, I hope I didn't wake your parents, or something like that. Oh. And she came downstairs to watch the baby. Because their relationship later in the movie gets real weird and, <laughs> and sort of like crazy. Nicholas Cage plays a guy named Little Junior, which we'll get to him later. But Jimmy, David Caruso, is married to Helen Hunt, and he's, like you're saying, he's out of the crime game, right? Mm-hmm. But Michael Rappaport's one of his best friends. And Michael Rappaport, does he only have one way to act? Because <laughs> he's acting the same way... Like, the only other, like, movie that I know really well that he's been in is True Romance, and he's kind of the same guy, just like this oaf who's always kind of in over his head. He sort of plays the same guy most of the time. I mean, he's pulling off the same performance in Copland. He d- does this to an extent whenever his character is, like, that really excitable sort of guy, I guess. I believe this is his cousin, right? Like, that's why he shows up, right? He shows up at Caruso's house because they used to pull jobs together, but also because they're cousins and he really needs help, right? He's in a jam and he needs basically criminal help for this job, and they were cousins. I'm pretty sure they're cousins. I mean, none of the relationships are really crystal clear. I think that is one that they make pretty clear. And apparently, like, Caruso is sort of... He says that he could go back to jail just for talking to Rappaport. People are watching me. I've been in jail... I am trying to go clean. If people see me talking to a guy like you, they're just going to know that I'm up to something, so just get out of my life. Like, he really does want to reform, but in the first five or ten minutes of the movie, he's thrust back into this life of crime against his better judgment and against Helen Hunt's wishes. Rappaport lays the guilt trip on him when he's like, you know, when your parents left you or were drunk or, you know, you had nowhere to turn, you know, our family took you in when everyone else said you could, like, go to hell. <laughs> and so, so, like, yeah, he was like, we raised you, you know, never asked for anything. So he sort of lays that guilt down on him, like, you know, you owe me. You owe me this one time. And I believe he needs, like, a driver. Like, the whole sort of heist that these guys are really into, they're their big thing is like stealing cars you know it's kind yeah. of like a, a preview of gone in 60 seconds mm-hmm. and uh they they like to load up the car loaders and and then they sort of drive them through the city to the dock and then the idea is to I guess to ship them out overseas but like as exciting as car theft sounds like it could be we never actually see them really steal cars there's like one scene of it <laughs> what we do see is them just like rifling through titles and deeds and just giving cars away like it's like the boring aspects of crime and I feel like, I don't think they're doing that for a reason. I think they're just 
they're just not capturing the excitement on screen. Yeah, I think you're right. They they almost play off later on when they start stealing cars. It's almost played off comically, you know? Like, it's not even the focus of the movie. It's just like they needed to be committing some type of crime, you know? And uh, they just, I guess, wanted to keep it car consistent throughout the whole film. So Rappaport brings Cage to this car yard, this junkyard, and that's where we first meet little junior Nicolas Cage. And like the first things we see, he grabs a guy from a truck and just like throws him like eight feet in the air. He also grabs Michael Rappaport by the throat, and he's just very aggressive in everything he's doing, but he has one Achilles heel, and that is he has asthma, which is a very interesting character choice. Not like it's his decision but the screenwriters and he's got a gold plated inhaler that has the word or what we later learn to find out is acronyms he's got the word bad on it yeah i believe it's even jewel encrusted (laughs) with the word bad his entrance into this movie is like so far it's one of my all-time favorites i mean it's just so jarring he's so menacing right at the start he reminds me you know especially when he pulls out the asthma he he really reminded me of rictus erectus from fury road you know just like this giant white hulk of a guy who is sort of well even like a man childish to a degree and you know not as much as the guy in fury road by any means but you know he is a little junior like he does work for his father right so like there is that he is playing the son role i have a question for you they might have answered this i don't know if i ever got the answer where are we where is this movie set i also had trouble sort of placing this city but it is supposed to be new york there is one point where they were walking i believe after Caruso gets married again later on in the film and they're they're leaving town hall and you can just see New York City on one of the New York something or other. But yeah, I, I was kind of confused. I felt that it was just sort of an ambiguous city, you know, just like the big city, as it were, like in Noir, you know, it's just the city. Yeah, I think later on they pinpoint it to be New York. Early on in the movie, like the accents are kind of all over the place. I sort of got the sense that it was like a Chicago kind of vibe. It doesn't really matter. Like, it's not like New York in a way that it could happen if he was New York. Like, New York is basically, as cliche as it sounds, New York is a character in that movie. In this, like, the city doesn't matter. They're just in a city, and it just happens to be New York. Yeah, and I actually kind of think that's a little bit of a mistake, because if you're going to be in New York, use it to your advantage, you know? Like, have a climax at the Empire State Building. You know, do something with it more than they did, you know, instead of making up a strip club, which is an awesome name that they give their strip club baby cakes baby cakes uh, but they could have used scores or something to that effect and you know really made it feel new york and and authentic the one request or the one demand that david caruso has of michael rapport he says i'm going to help you with this job as long as i'm back within two hours and of course in a movie like this he's not back in two hours playing time games with me oh junior i'm your man it's gonna happen Remove the fucking hand. I'm your guy, Junior. I'm here. There's no problem. Let's just do it. You're here, huh? (laughs) He's here. (laughs) We're saved. The job goes horribly, horribly wrong. They get to the dock, and the dock is immediately raided by the cops. It's like they were waiting for this bust. Samuel L. Jackson is one of the lead cops, lead investigators. He comes up to the truck that David Caruso is driving, opens the door. 
this drunk guy who was supposed to be the driver of the truck, right? It, he wakes up and he's all confused about where they are and what's going on. But then he pulls out a gun and shoots Samuel Jackson in the face through David Caruso's hand. Like, David Caruso held up his hand to stop the bullet or to tell the guy to stop. And the guy just shot through the hand into Sam Jackson's cheek. It's sort of intense right off the bat. Yeah, this is the guy that Cage throws out of the cab, like, across the driveway, like, into another truck, because he showed up drunk, and that's why Ronnie had to go get Jimmy to come drive for him, right? This is right. his, like, he's the guy he's replacing, but they leave him in the cab, like, passed out drunk. So, yeah, when the cops come, he wakes up and, like, pulls a gun. And I actually, yeah, this seems nice because... I loved how Jimmy tried to just like on instinct, he tried to like grab the bullet or something. Like it's just really, I don't know. It's strange, but feels real to me for some reason. Just like he would have like a reaction, like don't shoot. And yeah, it's just great how the bullet goes through his hand and nails Sam Jackson right in the face. As Sam Jackson gets shot, everybody else is able to escape, but David Crusoe's caught there and he goes to jail as many people would want to do with a wife and a young baby at home. He's like, I need to get out of there. Who is the federal prosecutor? But the Tooch is loose. Although the Tooch is, for the most part, pretty reined in in this movie. He's not the full loose Tucci that we had uh, a couple movies ago in It Could Happen to You. Yeah, I agree. There's one scene later on where he sort of blows his top. Uh, <laughs> he kind of, like, unleashes a little bit. But, right, he plays... I love this. He plays the DA. So, like, David Caruso's lying in the hospital next to Sam Jackson, and, like, the doctors are working on Sam Jackson, but not him. And cops are sort of like poking his hand and like kind of, you know, like messing with him and torturing with him. And then they see they're like, oh, the D.A., knock it off. And like Tucci comes in and everyone's like scared of this D.A., you know, like, yeah. like this guy's hot shit. You know, watch out, like behave around the Tucci for some reason. And he lays it down for Caruso. He's like, you're facing 40 years, brother. Like, you know, you are going down. Yeah, for felony murder. But then they, they sort of get it down to grand larceny class two or class two grand larceny which only would take about, it's like a five-year sentence, that he'd serve about two to three. Tucci wants him to snitch, but he doesn't want to snitch. So how do they get it down from felony murder to grand larceny? Is that just like a, a plea deal, or what happens? I don't remember exactly. So, yeah, I'm not crystal clear on this because Nicolas Cage isn't in this scene, so it's like my mind drifted a little bit, but I believe he meets with the mob lawyer, and the mob lawyer, and he's like, look, I'm not gonna, I'm not a rat, this and that, and the mob lawyer's like, ah, you know, like, we can, you know, we'll get it down to five, you'll do three, no problem. Like, I believe that's the way it went down. David Crusoe is sort of, he's done for this part of the movie, that we then enter, re-enter the real world, and we sort of follow the journey of Michael Rappaport, who's, again, who's not long for the world himself, and he goes to Helen Hunt's apartment, and he gives her $150 a week to sort of help her get by, he gives her a job at their car yard, he, he's gonna give her a car, because Michael Rappaport is working for Philip Baker Hall, who is Nicolas Cage's father, and sort of, he's kind of the Tony Soprano, would you say, right, of this world? Yeah, he seems to be the like the regional boss, right? <laughs> like, like this is his district that he kind of rules over. We find out later that Philip Baker Hall is under the impression that Michael Rappaport's giving Helen Hunt four hundred dollars a week, but he's only giving her one fifty. So, like from the beginning of this movie, just the way that Michael Rappaport's acting, you really get the sense that like he's he's in over his head and he's not long for this world. 
because he's kind of playing by his own rules in a world where you sort of have to pay respects to the people above you. Yeah, his, he's like a real bad guy because like his own cousin goes to prison for him, doesn't rat him out, and then this guy turns around and like tries to steal his wife, you know, and like puts the moves on her. Like I don't know, you just you get like a real like sort of like predatory kind of like creepy vibe, rapey vibe from him even like a lot of times, and and I think that's even like what ends up happening. He gives her that job and everything, but it's like a chop shop, you know, and it's like a really dangerous place for like not just women to be, but like anyone to be. Like this guy brings in a car and they beat the crap out of him, you know, or they beat the crap out of his car and it's just like nuts there. Yeah, and I think this is like one example where we get a glimpse of the movie that could have been. Like, we know that Helen Hunt no longer drinks for some reason. Like, she had something in her past. She no longer drinks. She's clean. But now because she has to work at this chop shop, because she's around all this crime, she quickly returns to the life of alcoholism. She's in over her head just as much as Michael Rappaport is. Like, this is not the life she wanted. She was talking to Rosie about wanting to go back to school. She was just going to settle down with David Crusoe. Hopefully he goes straight. Hopefully she's able to better herself, take care of her kid. And now all of a sudden she's just got to work to make ends meet. Nothing in her life is the way she wants it. But like, what's frustrating is that we, we're so close to like knowing more about her but like we only get to scratch the surface barely. Yeah, like you said, you almost you almost can picture the prequel in your head where like her she was like this hard drinker and she checked up with like this carjacker, right? And like maybe they ran wild around New York City and maybe he got then he got sort of pinched and now that he's out, he, they all just decided to go straight and then this happens. It's like no one can escape. Yeah, everyone is just surrounded by vice and surrounded by bad elements and there's just nothing or no one for her to have like support you know and she goes to see her husband at prison and they can't even touch each other it's like it's yeah it's desperate what's also sort of desperate is cage's need for fatherly affection we go to baby cakes and we see cage bench pressing a stripper like he's laying on the stage and just has a stripper in his arms and she's basically mocking him and taunting him trying to challenge him trying to do more reps i love his workout (laughs) you know he ought to sell tapes I wonder, like, who came up with that? Because there's just such a great touch for his character, you know? Like, it just, like, rounds him out so well. I don't know. I just I, it just thought it was just one of those crazy awesome moments that, you know, <laughs> that Cage can only pull off. Um, but in this scene, we sort of get the beginning of the end of Michael Rappaport. Like, as you were mentioning earlier, Helen Hunt's just sitting at the bar, drinking alone, and Rappaport comes up, like, behind her and, like, is just basically, like, pressing his body into hers, trying to get, like, a little too close, like, when he's talking to her. And this is his cousin's wife. His cousin just went to jail for him, has no sense of boundaries, and just like, hey, this girl's available for the next three years. I'm going to go at it. Yeah, and so Big Junior does not approve, you know? Like, he is no. a man of few words. He just sort of, like, every very small gesture, like, says everything it needs to, right? He just speaks through just looks this guy and he sort of gives the look to little junior and calls him over and then like one of the freaking scariest parts of this movie is when nick cage goes over to rapaport and is like my dad says you should go right now you know and he's like (laughs) and you should bring her home to her house my father says to take her home won't you let her finish her drink first now fuck off Why you gotta talk to me like that, man? To her house. And it's just, like, crazy, uh, because you see even, you know, even those thieves have, like, some, they recognize honor, right, between each other, and they're, like, 
you know, what is this guy? Like, he, he can't even abide by the thieves' code. You just don't mess with your cousin's wife. But Rappaport, again, does not listen to their advice, and they go to his house, and it's not explicitly clear that they've had sex. I mean, she's really drunk. He's the type of guy who would take advantage of her. When she wakes up in the morning, her, her, her all of her clothes are on, but her jeans or her shorts or whatever are unbuttoned. And so you think that something, at least he tried to do something, whether or not he was actually successful is one thing or another. She wakes up in a panic, calls Rosie, just like, oh my god, I fell asleep, I'm, I'm leaving right now, I'll be home soon. And she takes his car, backs into the street, almost gets hit by a car, then looks up and just gets killed, actually killed, by a like garbage truck. And like this was the most shocking thing in the entire movie that I did not expect at all for Helen Hunt to die here, and she's just gone half an hour into the movie. Yeah, she gets the Janet Lee treatment in this one, right? You just you think she's going to be sort of beaten and battered down the whole film until the guy gets out of prison, but no, they just they take her out, and it's like a it's like a jump scare, right? Yeah. Like she avoids one car, and then she's like ah, oh, and then suddenly it's like eh, and it just like slams right into her. Very unexpected, but uh, I, in my head, I'm like, okay, this movie is going to go anywhere. You know what I'm saying? Like I, it's it's it, it, it just it's up for anything so like it was a moment that made me just like say okay I'm, I'm really with this now and David Caruso finds out like he gets summoned to like the, the prison chaplain's office right and he or the counselor's office we smash cut to the funeral and he sees Rappaport there and Rappaport's like giving him answers to his questions that are all sort of dodgy and not lining up and Caruso thinks they were having an affair and he's kind of right in the sense I mean I think he's he doesn't really know that Helen Hunt... I mean, I guess he sort of assumes or hopes that his wife would be faithful, but he's more mad just at Michael Rappaport for any number of reasons that are valid. With his wife gone, all he really wants to do now that he's in prison, he has nothing to look forward to except for his daughter, and so what he wants more than anything is just not an early parole, but just a one-day trip to go see his daughter. Yeah, at the funeral, he doesn't exactly figure it out or know that Rappaport was messing around with the wife, but he was responsible for protecting her, you know, and looking after her and taking care of her. So he failed at that. And so that's all Caruso really needs. But then Rosie comes up and sort of fills in a few details about the night she died or Mm -hmm. or the night before she died. That's when he, like, in front of the cops, basically is like, you know, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Throws whatever he says back in his face and he's just like, you know, watch out. This was a really clever plan. I felt like this was a cool, like, he's still a criminal, but he's going to play along. He gives the names of two guys that he did jobs with so he could see his daughter, but he doesn't give them, you know, Rappaport's name so that they think Rappaport is the snitch. And he even sells it a little bit further when the crime lawyer comes to the jail and he's like, hey, what about uh, Rappaport? Was was he named? And the guy's like, no. He's like, oh, that's weird. Oh, yeah, yeah, because Jimmy was like, you know, throw me in the lineup, make sure it looks like you knew I was there, because he was there, too. He was at at these crimes that he's giving up, so technically, like, he gives himself up for those as well. Yeah, and it's just such a clever move to implicate his cousin and have someone, you know, he knows someone's going to kill him for thinking he's a snitch. And so the crime ring, so Little Junior and Big Junior put two and two together, even though they're being fed these numbers basically it's not the truth but it's enough of the truth they realize that michael rapaport is not helping them or you know basically he's a liability in one way or another so little junior and his posse including ving reigns right off the success of pulp fiction goes into this movie they show up at the chop shop 
they sort of summon Michael Rappaport. They're like, hey, we want to talk to you for a second. Yeah, I was so confused <laughs> by Ving Rhames' presence at this point. Like, I mean, like you say, they don't really, they just sort of throw you into this movie without any explanation. And it, you know, and I kind of, I do like that about this movie. You got to figure out relationships and things like that but Ving Rhames was such like a wild card to me you know like he just sort of seems like Nick Cage's buddy like he's showing him the ropes or maybe he's even one of the bodyguards I I was just like confused by him but glad he was there always up for Ving Rhames and there's a little we we learn a little bit more later about sort of how wild cardy Ving Rhames is but we'll get to that in a little bit Cage and a couple of his goons bring Michael Rappaport to this, like, back office, basically. Cage beats him to death with his bare hands. Ronnie, I want you to listen to this. An oldie but goodie. Concentrate on the words. Your time has come for everyone to clean up their own backyard. Only go knocking on their neighbor's door. Did you hear that? Hey, the bass is too heavy, y'all. Huh. Time has come for everyone to clean up their own backyard. Clean up their own backyard. Did you hear that? Uh, yes, yeah, so this is the second movie where Cage has beaten a man to death with his bare hands. Wild at heart in, yeah. in the opening scene, and then this one. And that's all I kept thinking about <laughs> was that he plays guys that like beat people to death. And this scene is, again, this is like, pretty chilling because like Michael Rappaport walks into the office and they're all wearing ponchos. Yep. You're just and there's like bags on the on the table and you're just like, all right, like they're gonna like chop him up or something. And then no, like Cage just like punches him in the face. And then at one moment he's almost like, oh shit, like I went too far. Ah, what the hell? And just beats him to death. It's really yeah. chilling. And Cage is such like a psychopath, such a sociopath, whatever the right word is, that the only thing he feels bad about is that he got blood on his brand new stereo. Yeah, he almost reminds me of like Michael Madsen to a degree in Reservoir Dogs because he even they even play a song during the scene. You know, he like hurting someone. The music is. I mean, they, this is Jump Around, I believe, by House of Pain. Yeah. Not quite stuck in the middle with you, but uh, I got I got a similar sort of character vibe. Now that David Caruso's main sort of antagonist is gone from the world, he's still in prison, but he does get his day pass. Like, this all worked out, and so he gets to spend a day with his daughter, but his trip is chaperoned by Samuel L. Jackson, who was the guy who got shot basically because of David Caruso, in a sense. Sam Jackson is, like, ready to fight. They get him out of the prison, and then they instead of going to the grandma's house, they just, like, pull over in, like, a side lot in New York City and get him out of the car. And, like, Sam Jackson is like, all right, we're going to even this out, like, right now. Yeah, and he punches him while Caruso still got his handcuffs on, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, cop justice. I mean, I think he just needed to blow off some steam. He even says, like, we took the same bullet, but clearly Sam Jackson got the short end of that shift. He sort of has, like, an eye-leaky problem. Uh, he's, like, prototype for Le Chaffre from Casino Royale, <laughs> I almost thought he was going to cry blood at one point. But he looked good for a guy that got shot in the face, you know? And so he goes to... He has his day out, and then we sort of smash cut later, or we jump in time later to three years later, and he's about to get out of jail. There's only three more weeks? 
But before he gets out of jail, we see Rosie visit the jail, and she's basically like, hey, you don't have to be alone when you get out. And you're like, oh, you know, this girl upstairs, who I guess loves the kid, because she's the babysitter of the kid, also now is in love with David Caruso, and they're going to get married? That's interesting. Yeah, I wondered about the age difference also, because she, in the beginning of the movie, seems much more like a teenager living with her parents and is just like the babysitter, but now three years later, like, she's going to marry much older David Caruso, but I don't know. I kind of thought it was like an interesting little story beat. He's got more to lose now, you know, later for the rest of the film. Like, there's risk. His character can't just go around like Action Jackson and, you know, (laughs) serve up justice. He's got to think of his family and things like that. He's about to get out of prison. He gets summoned once again to the chaplain's office. And as the viewer, I'm like, oh, no. Like, who died now? Like, I hope that his kid's okay. I hope Rosie's okay. But no, it's just Tooch again. Tooch on the loose. Looking for more information and asking about Cage and wanting Caruso's help to bring Cage down. Yeah, they pull the card really fast of, like, they get married and then they go to the chaplain's office. So it's like what I was saying. Like, they fake you out, but it's like, oh, they got married. Oh, no, she's dead. You know, they found out already. But no, like, it's the Tooch and he's like, we know you're leaving, but we got a little unfinished business for you, basically, right? Philip Baker Hall... Big Junior is dying. He's in the hospital. And so Cage is about to basically be in charge of this whole crime ring. And David Crusoe is three weeks away from getting out. He just wants to be left alone. And so he doesn't want to do this job, but like he's like, if this, if you're giving me your word, if you're a man of honor, and I do this for you, and you will leave me alone forever, then I will do this for you. Yeah, and I think I understand now starting to understand now why he was nominated for that Razzie just because like again I'm just like anyone else man like could have killed this it's such an easy scene but I don't know for me I don't know (laughs) he's pulling me back out of the film thankfully we get back to Cage real soon so he gets out of prison he's all set up to take down Cage Caruso goes and gets married to Rosie and then we cut to my favorite scene in the movie and it's like the favorite my favorite bit of like information that it's just Cage like there's like techno music blaring and he's just like stomping around and grunting and then he just like grabs a guy he's like my dad just died and then the scene is over could have found out from some other character that oh you know big junior died but instead we get this like 15 second scene of crazy cage just working on his sadness and frustration that his dad died and i love it yeah i love two things about this but first of all like you're right it's kind of a superfluous scene because we find out the very next time we see nick cage like he says my dad died you know and that's uh, you know we didn't really need to know that until then but this scene is great because it's the second time he's in a strip club and some guy like knocks into him and he beats the crap out of him (laughs) yeah also in deadfall he kind of is freaking out in a strip club like he is here and then some guy bumps into him and the guy's like what's your problem and in this one he's like yeah my dad died and he kind of punches him a couple times and I think he stops because he knows he could just beat people to death like Ivan Drago with his bare hands, you know? But yeah, and then in Deadfall, like, he gives the high fucking yaw to the guy. <laughs> I love it. And it's like only 15 seconds long, and I wish he could have stayed there for a little bit longer. But instead, we have to go to David Caruso, who's getting wired up. And I'm really glad in terms of just CIs and, like, snitches in real life that they've improved upon the wire. Because in every crime movie in the 90s, 
everybody has to wear a wire, and it's like the most obvious thing that people can detect. And so he's getting like wired up to go get some information for Tucci, for Samuel L. Jackson, and he finds out that they're not really after Cage, they're after Ving Rhames. Like, it's sort of confusing, and he's like, whoa, 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 like, why are we going after this guy? This wasn't part of our deal. Their whole explanation is sort of like, well, Omar, Ving Rhames, is the guy Cage is dealing with. He's the guy buying all the hot cars, he's the guy buying all the hot guns, you know, this is sort of his main guy right now that he's selling to, so if we can get them on tape together, I think that's, like, how they're going to trap him. But you're right. Cage is doing, like, enough stuff on his own that I think just, like, spending some time with him, you could get enough incriminating evidence, you know, without involving Omar. The thing I don't understand about The Wire is what they come to understand about The Wire as well in this movie. You should just never wear it the first time because he wears The Wire and they pat him down and he's smart enough to sort of ditch it, you know, out the window. But if you just don't wear one the first time and let them pat you down, then they'll never suspect you. That's their logic in this movie. And so, like, that's how they get around him wearing a wire later. He gets back to the car after his first night of information gathering. They go out to steal some cars. I think it's Sam Jackson. He's just like, hey, I'll, I'll take that wire back. He's like, oh, man, I ditched it. They patted me down twice. And they're like, oh, good, now you can wear a wire more easily because they've already patted you down. You're in their good graces. It, it's so, And this is when they go sort of stealing the cars. This is their Gone in 60 Seconds sequence, right? Yeah. They sort of uh, are initiating him into the crew deeper and deeper. So first he's got to go with on these little runs. They go to steal like a Ford Explorer, and there's a dog locked in the car. <laughs> What was that about? Like, I, I don't know. It's 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 humor. It's this it's this film's attempt at humor. That's what I'm saying. But a dog died. <laughs> it was like left in a car overnight like that. So that's it was just so confusing, you know. So after he goes on this little run, after he has his little powwow recap session with Sam Jackson, he gets summoned to Baby Cakes, where he goes to Baby Cakes and he sits down with Cage. And this is like a great scene that I really wish, like we were sort of saying earlier, that it was really anybody other than David Caruso, because this could be like a real like heart-to-heart between two great actors. But instead, it's like Cage is like, all right, like give me something to work with. And like he's really not getting much in return. This could have been like the Christopher Walken, Dennis Hopper scene in True Romance, yeah. you know, equal to something like that. But it's, yeah, it's completely played like one-sided. You know, Cage is so strong at, at this time, and Caruso is just sort of like cardboard to me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to. I don't. I feel bad, you know, ragging on him. But this is a great scene, and you know, he he remembers Caruso from that one night because his wife died, and uh, he feels like an instant connection because his dad just died. And you know, on a very strange level, they start to like form a bond. I heard you lost your wife. I lost my father last week. Yes. What do you think is worse? Losing a wife or losing a father? Well, I don't know. I guess it depends on the individual, relationship, whatnot. You know what an asthma attack feels like? It feels like you're trying to breathe air through a flattened straw. But if I take a hit of this, most times I'm okay. Like that. But my old man, in the end, he had less than 5% of his lung capacity. He went out hard. 
I'm sorry to hear that. That starts happening to me with genetics and shit, I swear to God, it's silver bullet time. I'll do it myself. At least your wife, she went out fast, right? I'm telling you, man, you gotta be grateful for that. And then David Crusoe's like, yeah, man, like, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And Cage is like, whatever doesn't what? Like, he's never heard the saying <laughs> yeah, before? what is that about? If he's heard, you mess with the bulls, you get the horns, then, yeah. then he must have heard that expression at some point in his life. So Sing Sing. Got through that. Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Whatever don't. Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Whatever don't kill you. Okay. And so this little heart-to-heart gets interrupted because somebody's getting a little handsy with the stripper. And so it looks like Cage is about to like, chop the guy's hand off. He's like, put your hand that you touched her with on the table. I'm only going to ask you once. And then he just makes the guy strip down to his underwear and do a little dance on stage. Like, again, sort of like an attempt at humor that doesn't really pay off. It's a little weird, but I guess it's kind of funny, maybe? Yeah, I was sort of confused but i mean and like the stripper he did it for didn't think it was like cool at all either right she was kind of like dude like what are you doing but i think that's right like he like kind of gives gives the wink to the stripper yeah and the stripper's like no dude like no yeah even the strippers don't like cage like he's the new man in charge at this strip club and they don't even like him so and i think that's kind of what's happening right it's like this is his first sort of night in charge of everything and he's kind of freaking out his dad just died he doesn't exactly know how to handle his own temper no one's looking over him like his dad was i would imagine you know used to rein him in from time to time and he doesn't burn this guy or cut his fingers off or break break his hand or anything yeah he goes for like the humiliation route it it just seems like very like he's thinking very schizophrenic at this time and i think that also plays in because like this is the part in the movie where he like freaks out and like pats down david caruso like he's just losing all grip on reality he doesn't know who to trust he has too much power he's not ready for all this responsibility and he pats down david caruso after it's clear that david caruso is not wearing a wire even though he just was a couple minutes earlier they're like hey let's go for a ride and so just cage and caruso go in a car cage is like hey you know what an acronym is man you know what an acronym is Like letters of stamp for things, you know, like FBI, TGIF, you understand? Yeah. I have an acronym for myself. You know what it is? B A D. B A D. Balls, attitude, direction. Give yourself an acronym. It helps you visualize your goals. How about FAB? Fucked at birth. No good. Too negative. Guess that explains the 
BAD on his inhaler as well, yeah. right? And this part also, you know, when they're in the club, like, you never really see Little Junior doing, like, coke or drugs or drinking hard or, you know, like, he's kind of a clean liver. He has asthma, so I guess he can't really indulge too hard in alcohol and stuff like that. I don't know. I don't have asthma. But, like, he's almost like this picture of health. So it makes him even scarier that his psychological problems are not because of, like, some kind of drug addiction. You know what I mean? Like, he's not a yeah. crackhead. He's nothing like that. He's just, like, full of rage. He's got, like, roid rage, if anything. Rage cage. And they, they go to meet up with Ving Reigns. And what I love is that, like, they, they're dropping off something. I think they're just dropping off, like, knives or guns or some, some kind of weapon. They have, like, a bag of weapons. But, like, what's hiding the weapons, what's covering them so that if somebody looked in the car, it's a stuffed bunny. Mm-hmm. And so we saw a stuffed bunny in Wild at Heart. And we're going to see a stuffed bunny again in Con Air, which Ving Reigns will be back for Con Air right mm-hmm. and so it's just funny that the stuffed bunny seems to be following cage throughout his career but ving like pulls his gun on david caruso and he's just like who's this guy he's like stop bringing new guys to me and cage's like no nah, man he's cool yeah cage is like dude you're just paranoid you do too much coke and you see again like just this like this guy's got multiple personalities you see a completely different side of little junior right he's like yeah. treats vin reigns like they're boys you know he's, he even says stuff like this like nah man like he's cool <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's just really nuts and i just love when we get like multiple cage in one movie right <laughs> like when he you know when his character doesn't always act the same it's just great like to see his range you know, on display this time. And they bring Ving Rhames down to the dock, or they fill Ving Rhames in on the cars that they've stolen for him. And he's like, hey, man, I don't want that red explorer. Red's my bad color. So, so we learn that he's not going to be a fan of the man in the red sports car. No red sports car in this movie. But there's a couple red cars. In the long run, it's, it makes sense that Cage and Ving Rhames would not be happy with each other. Yeah, honorable mention, Cage Nexion with the red <laughs> car. <laughs> you know, And there was that, you know, and the red car is kind of bad luck to a degree. I mean, there was one at the very beginning of Amos and Andrew, so, and the very end of it. So we know how that turned out. So David Crusoe continues to get in over his head, gets deeper and deeper into this crime ring. And he really, he has a question that like, you sort of want to ask for a while now. He asked Samuel L. Jackson, like, why do you want this job? Like, I almost got you killed or whatever. Why are you the one working this job? Why you? You know, why did they put you on me? Revenge? You see this eye here? Runs all the time. I can't make it stop. I got a third of my hearing in this ear. And when I want to go to the beach, like take my kids to the beach and play with them and shit... Strong, direct sun gives me a migraine so bad I cry like a baby. They don't know why. It just does. So I asked for you. And if you take that why off one more time, I'm personally going to beat you to death. Maybe the next time you lay a hand on me, it won't be such a one-way beating. And I really like that Sam Jackson is sort of, I don't know, he's working through stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think he might even see see some, like, honesty in Caruso that, like, this like I could get through to this guy like I see a desperate man who just wants out of the situation this sort of is the start of their little alliance right they if this was survivor they've formed an alliance on the side that's sort of secret yeah. at this point they sort of team up here they really come from other side of the tracks like it's criminal and cop and it's cop who was shot because of criminal they see the corruption all around them they're obviously surrounded by this crime ring but you also find out very shortly that like Stanley Tucci, the prosecutor, is also kind of corrupt and willing to do things a little unethically to advance his career. 
So they're sort of like good guys trapped in bad circumstances or sort of who found their way into a ring full of bad guys. Yeah, and he sort of talks to Rosie that night, right? Like on the, they have like a little bit of pillow talk about getting out and what it's all cost them and all that. It was one of those moments again where it's just like, if only it was Clooney. Because <laughs> they just don't want to see like even David Caruso lying in bed. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what it is. She sees the tape on his back, right? Like he's getting undressed and she sees the tape on his back and she's like, what's going on? She's like, I'm not Bev. I'm not Helen Hunt. I'm not going to just lay around here and like let you get killed or let you go back to jail. I can't live like that. And so he sort of comes clean to her about what he's doing, and she's not really super happy about it. They have this, like, what you're saying could have been, like, a great heart-to-heart, and it's just David Caruso sort of being David Caruso. He's got, like, one mode, and he's stuck in it, and it's kind of like first gear all the time. I do like the idea that, you know, now he's come clean to her and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's a good scene. It's a good scene. It's just uh, kind of fell flat. He meets up with Cage again. Caruso meets up with Cage, and they're going to meet up with Ving Rhames again. And he's like, hey, go on that side and ask him a question. And he's talking to Ving Rhames, and then Cage just puts a bullet in the guy's head. Yeah, he shows up at Baby Cakes, or he's been sort of working there all night, and he's like, well, it's time I get home to the missus. And then Little Junior's hand goes on his shoulder, and he's like, you're coming with me. He's like, uh, <laughs> you never know who you can trust these days. And they go on a car ride, and David Caruso's like, hey, man, like, what's up? Where are we going? You could tell me. I'm your friend. <laughs> and Nick Cage doesn't say anything. And then, yeah, they, they pull up, and they're going to meet Omar. And anyway, he tells him, tell Omar I got a red Rolls Royce for him. (laughs) And make sure you go up to the passenger side. He's like, hey, Omar. And then, bam, blows his brains out all over David Caruso. What did you do? What did you do? What the fuck did you do? What did I do? You fuck with the bull, you get the horns. That's what I did. Then they head back to Baby Cakes, right? Caruso's, like, leaving the strip club. He gets brought into custody by, like, Ving Rhames' guys, right? Like, it's sort of the guys that Ving Rhames has been rolling with through this movie, right? Yeah, I thought at this point Omar's guys were just going to sort of kidnap him and kill him for taking out Omar. But you find out through this sort of, like, elaborate, I don't know, what, like, they're, they're going through, like, a parking garage and it's going up to another level. And then you just see, like, this big conference table with like all these agents around it i was like what is happening and it turns out that omar was a undercover agent for the fbi who they were using to get little junior in the same way that just the regular cops or the da was using jimmy and it's not like really clear whether everybody's on the same page or not it's not clear whether stanley tucci sort of saw an opportunity to advance himself and didn't care that there was like a federal informant in on the scene it's like state against feds and you're just like wait what's going on like this is not the movie that we had like it's all of a sudden like it's like bigger more elaborate plot like no one's on the same page yeah the scene is basically just no department talks to any other department so that's why nothing ever gets done like all the bureaucracy like if only the feds talk to the state we would know and we wouldn't cross investigate and get each other's agents killed and <laughs> that whole thing and this is where the two kind of gets a little loose because everyone is sort of like it's your fault it's your fault this and that and the feds are like okay we're gonna 
use your guy now. And Tucci's like, oh, no, 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 no. He's like, if you want to use our guy, it's our rules. I want to be a judge, you know? Like, I want to be in the papers. And they set up Caruso to be the new informant for everybody in that scene. Yeah, and they the, the first thing that they're going to do is they're going to go get Cage. Like, they have enough information on him right now, or there's, they're trying to figure out if they do or not, and they're going to go get Cage. And as Cage is getting arrested, he's like, am I getting arrested for state or federal charges? And they're like, you're getting arrested for both. <laughs> <laughs> they And they want to indict him, which, you know, this whole part is, like, foggy for me. It feels very much like movie lawyer talk and just, like, gobbledygook to a degree. At this point, I was like, oh, no, like, it just became, like, NYP. Like, like for like five minutes, it's just like lawyers talking in rooms, with like, no, and and they're all characters we don't know and we've never seen before, and we honestly just don't care about. And they're trying to figure out if the charges are going to stick. And it's like, okay, this is like a thing that has to happen within the world of the movie, but it's not a thing that has to happen that we have to see. Exactly, my thoughts. I was like, this, we need to know this went on, but we don't need to see it, you know? We just need, like, the DA to come out of the room all pissed off and, you know, Caruso to be like, why is he free? And, you know, we didn't, yeah, you're right. Like, we don't know any of these guys. It's like the FBI agent and his lawyer, a judge, and then the mob lawyer who we saw in, like, one scene. I was just so confused. I couldn't follow any of it. And apparently they don't have, they weren't keeping files or they can't release files for an ongoing investigation. And so since the judge can't see the file, he can't decide whether or not he should indict Little Junior. It's just all very nebulous, and I don't know. I also got the sense here that it's because they can't release stuff that they think something in this exchange leads the crime ring to believe that David Caruso is the one who turned on Cage. And I don't know if it's like because they can't reveal stuff. They're like they're acting a little shifty. So Cage gets sprung. Like they don't have charges to stick on him. And then he heads back to Baby Cakes, and like their next big thing is like, okay, we got to take care of David Caruso. He put me in jail. Yeah, it wasn't exactly clear on how they knew it was Jimmy, except for maybe process of elimination somehow. I think what happened was Junior planted some coke on Omar so that when they found him, they would think like he was a cokehead. And then the lawyer said something about the like, oh, wasn't there any anything in his system? And they're like, no, like he was a federal agent, he was clean in this. And so the lawyer knew they were covering up something about it. They knew that Jimmy was there, so I don't know. Maybe that's like, that's what I got. They might have said it, but like this part of the movie is just made so poorly and is so boring that it's hard to follow and hard to like care about what's going on. They go like they're out like in a house in the woods, right? They're not just at grandma's house, they're like out somewhere and they suddenly realize that David Caruso's daughter is nowhere to be found and they see her stuffed animal and they're like, Oh no, where is she? Like they, they, they run into the woods and they find her like almost immediately and on her head written in like red paint. I guess it might be blood, it's supposed to be blood. Who knows what they actually used in ter- in the movie, in the world of the movie, but it just says bad. Like, hey, this is a message to David Crusoe that Cage knows where you are. He could have killed your daughter. Watch out. By the end of the scene, I was like, okay, that's a really, that's pretty, that's a nice distinct threat. You know, like that looks like a threat that, you know, Junior would make. You know, it's pretty specific to him. It's got his BAD, you know, he's sending a message. Next time it's you. And I was actually kind of glad they didn't just straight up kidnap his daughter, you know, like Ant Man style. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It was just another one of those, like, I thought she was kidnapped and they find her immediately in the movie again. It does like a couple nice twists and turns. They confront Stanley Tucci, the 
DA, yeah. and they're like, hey, what happened? Like, how did this guy get off? You know, why is Junior out there? And the Tooch is, he's got a loose mouth in this sequence, <laughs> you know what I mean? And he's like, ah, you know, there's a hundred little Juniors out there. What's the difference if, you know, one goes free and one goes to jail? You know, I'm going to be a judge. Screw you, basically, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, you're a crook. I'm a crook, but like, you know, I'm in a position of power. You can't touch me. I'm a good prosecutor, but I'll be a great judge. And so this is like when David Caruso and Sam Jackson are like, okay, if Cage is going to get taken down, we need to be the ones who take him down. So David Caruso goes to Baby Cakes and calls Sam Jackson. He's like, how long is it going to take you to get here from there? He's like, I don't know, 20 minutes? He's like, okay, don't be late. So David Caruso walks into Baby Cakes with no backup, just with his like one pistol. He just like confronts Cage. And like Cage knows that he's a rat. That Cage is like ready to kill him, basically. And he walks into hell, essentially, to confront the devil. Yeah, that's a pretty good way of putting it. <laughs> and even Cage is like, I'm going to get you, but not tonight, right? And then Caruso's like, nah, tonight. And <laughs> they basically go at it. They just brawl, from what I can remember. And Nick Cage starts to sort of have asthma attacks. And, yeah. and Caruso's like kicking the inhaler away. And he's like grabbing for it. And <laughs> I don't know, it's all pretty exciting, though. And the gun gets knocked away from David Caruso, but it lands at the feet of the guy that Cage made strips who's underwear and get yeah. on stage. Oh my god, that was so funny. And so this stupid little joke, I guess like I guess that's smart screenwriting. I, I, I just I, I know I don't want to give this film too much credit, but this guy who has a uh, has a reason to hate Cage, even though he was in the wrong, you know what I mean? He gets the gun kicked to his feet, and so when David Caruso like sort of springs free he kicks the gun back to him, and he sort of holds the power advantage. And then Sam Jackson shows up just in time with backup. They arrest Cage. Yeah, the only thing about that guy from earlier is, what are you doing back here? <laughs> like, you know this place is run by some guy who hates you. Like, what do you, we'll go find another strip club. Uh, and then the other thought that crossed my mind was, he's going to shoot Cage in the back or something like that, you know, and give Caruso the advantage. But no, Sam Jackson shows up. He gets Nick Cage to sort of punch him in the face, right? Right? And yeah. then reveals that he's a cop, and he's like, you just hit a cop, sucker. You're going down. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. And so they return to Tucci again. They're like, okay, look. Like, we got him on assaulting an officer. We have him on this murder charge from before that you didn't want to press charges against him for. you got to do this. And he's just like, nah, man, I'm a judge now. Like, you got nothing on me. And then he pulls out a tape, and he's like, well, I got this tape that says otherwise that it's it, the recorded conversation between David Caruso and Tucci, and Tucci's just like, it's the one where he's saying, I could be a great judge, and like, you know, showing his hand, revealing his hand as master plan, and he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of this, I'm gonna go into witness protection, I trust you to do the right thing. <laughs> yeah, he's like, basically like, I'm gonna blackmail a judge, a federal judge, <laughs> into doing the right thing, but it's the only move he's got, right? I mean, I, I loved when he played the tape of Cage, and the guy's like, ah, oh, it's not good enough, and then out of my mouth, came what about the tape you made a couple scenes ago and sure enough he pulled out the tape i was like i knew he was wearing a wire i knew <laughs> it during that hot dog scene but yeah this movie just like i don't know that's like so weird where he's like ah you know what i think i'll go hide out in witness protection like let me know how it goes and then he goes to his red ford explorer that he got because ving rames didn't want and rosie's there and his daughter's there and they just ride off into the sunset and the movie ends yeah and so in the end nick cage like isn't even like shot dead or anything like 
that. And like, we don't even see him in prison. I seriously thought he was going to die of like an asthma attack or someone was going to switch his inhaler at the end. But, you know, he gets cuffed and led away. And, and yeah, it's it's more of Caruso's movie. So we end on him. Yeah. I mean, I wish that we ended on Cage, but like it's it's like I understand not, you know, fully giving him like 100 percent closure. Like it's more important to get closure from Caruso, like you were saying. But it's weird how like little closure we get yeah. from him. Yeah, I think that's that's what I'm trying to say exactly. It's like, you know, we needed just something else, but no. This movie has a couple cage connections in terms of actors. Sam Jackson was last in Amos and Andrew, which we both did not like. He'll return again in about 15 years to Astro Boy. He'll lend his voice. The Tooch is loose once again for the second and final time, as of now at least, in Cage's career, coming back from It Could Happen to You. Helen Hunt pops back in from Peggy Sue Got Married. Philip Baker Hall will return in a couple movies in The Rock. And like we said earlier, Ving Rhames will come back in a couple movies for Con Air, but also for Bringing Out the Dead. So there's a lot of, nothing like major, nothing mind-blowing, no Al Cerullo in this movie, <laughs> but a couple decent, pretty big names that Cage will work with again, either in a few years or a few years ago. I completely missed the Helen Hunt, Peggy Sue Got Married connection, but what a smile just crossed my face because <laughs> of it, I'm telling you. So that's pretty much this movie. Anything else you want to say about it? Uh, no, I think we covered it all. If you want to know more about Cage Club, if you want to know more about the movies that we've done, you can go to cageclub.me. You can read our reviews for every movie that we've done. You can listen to all of our podcasts, follow us on Twitter, subscribe on iTunes, all that sort of fun stuff. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. We'll see you next time on Cage Club. 